Welcome to the Chalk Talk Gym podcast, where we explore insights into healthcare that help uncover new opportunities for growth and success. I'm your host, Jim Jordan. Today we have with us Stephen Tweed. He's an expert on the home care market with over 40 years of experience. Stephen's also the founder and the former CEO of the Home Care CEO Forum, a network he created 11 years ago to bring together leaders of top-tier home care companies to share ideas and best practices. He recently sold that to his business partner. Today, he's a CEO of Leading Home Care, where he provides strategic guidance to home care, hospice, and private duty healthcare companies through speaking, training, consulting, and coaching. He's also the author of Conquering the Crisis, Proven Solutions for Caregiver Recruiting and Retention, and he serves on numerous boards of directors. Stephen's also a certified speaking professional, and he's passionate about helping home care businesses grow and prepare for the future. Now, today, Stephen's going to share with us his insights on the trends and the challenges and the opportunities in this fast-growing home care industry. He'll also discuss creative solutions companies are using to deal with caregiver shortages, which is a major issue facing the industry. We'll also explore options for starting a home care business, whether through a franchise model or independently. And with Stephen's deep knowledge and experience, I'm excited for him to give us a glimpse into this fragmented but essential industry. Stephen, why don't we start with you telling me a little bit about yourself? Well, it's been a great ride, uh, James, over the last 40 years working with companies that provide healthcare at home. It started initially in the home health sector where a local agency asked me to work with them on strategic planning, and that grew to working with their state association and their national association. And then in 2002, we created this new company called Leading Home Care with a specialty focus on home health and hospice. But we also learned about the non-medical personal care sector that has come to be called home care. At that time, it was called private duty home care. And we just found some fascinating entrepreneurs in this sector. And I found I like working with small businesses. And so over the last two decades, we've really grown our work with these companies that we now call the home care sector. And my work with them is primarily leading a series of mastermind groups. We introduced the mastermind concepts of the home care industry in 2012. And now we have five groups with the six groups starting in a couple of weeks. And these are groups of about 10 companies. They're all about the same size. They don't compete with each other, so they can really come together and share ideas and solve problems and support one another. And so then we lead those discussions. And then I do some strategic business coaching and some industry research around this whole home care sector. So can you explain for our audience who might not know what the mastermind concept is? Can you share a little bit? Yeah, the mastermind concept really comes out of Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich, but the classic mastermind group, my favorite, is a group called Uncommon Friends. And it was Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, Harvey Firestone, Charles Lindbergh, and a physician by the name of Dr. Charles Morrell. And the five of them got together regularly right up the road from where I am now in Fort Myers, Florida, at what has now become the Edison Ford Winter Estate. But these five business people got together and shared ideas and helped each other. And so that concept has been around. We learned about it through our National Speakers Association. Part of my business over the years has been speaking professionally. And so we've been in some mastermind groups with other professional speakers. And we said, wow, this would be great to get some home care CEOs together on a regular basis. And so, as I said, we started that 10 years ago. And 
those groups continue to roll along in our top group, what we call our top 5% group, and that's based on revenue in the industry, is now eight companies between 10 and $30 million in annual revenue. And that group's been together, a number of the members for as long as the full 10 years. So it's a fascinating concept. And we love working with these companies over long periods of time. And they really learn from each other. They bring ideas together. They support each other. What's really fun, and you'll appreciate this, is somebody comes in with an idea, people love it, somebody takes it away, does something really wonderful with it, brings it back and say, here's what I did, and they sort of plus the idea and bring it back and take it to new levels. So it's been great to watch that happen. So you said you do a lot of research. I had done a profile on this market. So maybe for our audience, we can start out by just, I had it that's like 136 billion in size of which 55% of that is mostly home care and 30% of it is hospice and there's home personal care. And those numbers seem about right to you? Well, yes. And part of the problem is that we don't know the size of the private pay home care market because nobody captures that data. And so the data that the government has is a combination of Medicare data from home health and hospice and some other industry survey data. But of the 50 states, there are only 30 states that license non-medical home care companies. So we don't even know how many companies are in the industry. But we do know that it's a highly fragmented industry that we believe there are 26,000 companies in the sector. The median size, the middle, is a million seven. So there's all these little tiny companies. Half of them are under a million seven, half of them over. Our focus is on the top 10%, and that gets you at about three and a half million on up to probably the biggest independent companies are in the 125 to 150 million dollar range. So it's a lot of small companies, and they're doing really meaningful work, and they're great entrepreneurs, and they all have their own story about why they got into this business, and they're just out there making a difference. So it's interesting because when I was looking at it, the fragmentation was really amazing to me, which supports the need to have a, a master's buying course, because how do you find out best practices? Because we go to our jobs every day and we sort of start hammering the nails and rowing the boat and you only have a, a small percentage of your time for continuous improvement or education. You had a CEO forum group at one point in time. What was that intention? Was that to be well, a we, we, people? We labeled our entity, the Home Care CEO Forum, okay. and we sort of positioned it as a network where owners and CEOs of home care companies can come together. And within that CEO forum, we have the mastermind groups. So when you're working with the home care organizations, where do they fit with the long-term care organizations in terms of, because you have assisted living in there, right? You have um, nursing home and some of them may have hospices in there. So are there any associations between the home care organizations and those longer-term care organizations? Well, yeah, there are. If you think about the continuum of what has become called post-acute care, so folks come out of acute care, which is hospitals, yes. and oftentimes they'll go into a skilled nursing facility that has a rehab unit, and then people get discharged from the rehab unit, and they may go to home health, which is the skilled Medicare reimbursed nursing and therapies in the home. You mentioned hospice care. Hospice is also Medicare reimbursed. It's end-of-life care. And then the home care space, because it's non-medical, it's hands-on personal care, it's assistance with the activities of daily living. And so we mentioned skilled nursing facilities. You also have long-term skilled care. You have independent living and assisted living in senior living communities. And we've heard the phrase continuing care retirement communities that cover the whole range from independent to assisted to skilled to memory care units. 
And so this whole broad continuum is post-acute care. Our focus is the in-home personal care. These are home care aides, certified nursing assistants, uh, working on a shift basis, a four-hour shift or an eight-hour shift in a person's home. It's paid for mostly by private pay, although the state Medicaid programs through Medicaid waivers cover in-home care. We're also seeing more care covered by long-term care insurance, and the Veterans Administration has a significant in-home care program. And so the way that the home care people interact with home health is as a referral source. And of course, they also get referrals from independent living and assisted living and skilled nursing facilities. One of the trends in the industry is that many senior living communities and home health companies are adding in-home personal care, what's been labeled by the nursing profession, private duty home care as a subset of their business. So when you look at, you were saying the average business is about 1.7 million in revenue. What sort of profit do they generate from that? Well, it's interesting because I was just working on that because I'm working on a, a program we're doing for the Home Care Association of Florida called the Executive Strategy Retreat. And I was updating some of my data on what we call opportunities in private duty home care. So basically, if you have a million seven in revenue is the, is the median, about 61% of that goes to cover the direct cost of care. So that's caregiver wages, workers' comp, unemployment insurance, hiring expenses. So that gives you a gross margin in the high 30s, 38, 39%. And then we break the operating expenses down into a couple of categories. We have marketing expenses, which are about 4.2%. We have office team expenses, the office staff compensation benefits, all of those, which is around 12.5%. And then you have other operating expenses, rent, utilities, insurance, those kinds of things. And so typically across the industry at the median level, at the 1.7, the, the net income from operations before owner's comp is, is like nine, nine and a half percent of total revenue. That's a tough business model. And I also noticed, I saw a report on uh, IBS World. It's about a year and a half old, and it was talking about employment and wages. So you just divided it out. So I'm sure I'm slightly off here, yep. but it looks like that the wages really haven't moved much since 2005, which says not only is it a low margin business, it's one that doesn't increase the pay quite a bit. How do we wait attract- Wages and bill rates were pretty flat up until right after COVID. Okay. And since COVID, wages have gone up dramatically. And there's two parts of that. One is the whole cost of living index and inflation. But the other is the states and the municipalities that have dramatically increased minimum wage. So we see mostly in the Pacific Northwest and in the Northeast where the states have increased their minimum wages. And of course, there was a big push to $15 an hour minimum wage. Well, as we have done the math for this kind of a business, Whatever you pay your caregivers, you need to charge double that in order to get that 38, 39% gross margin. And then you have your operating expenses and you drop nine or 10% to the bottom line. And so what has happened in a lot of areas, you know, take the Pacific Northwest Seattle, where minimum wages are above $15 an hour. That means you got to be charging 30 to $32 an hour on a private pay basis. At some point, you get to the point where individuals, unless they're really high net worth individuals, aren't able to pay that, or they look at the option of going into a facility, into assisted living or skilled nursing, and at some point you break over that monthly cost for being in a facility, and families will say, gee, well, you know, we can save money if mom is in a 
assisted living facility. Wow. So that's saying that people might be moving to these facilities for financial reasons, as opposed to they were capable of staying at home. Sure. In some instances. And of course, COVID turned that all upside down because of the problems that facilities had with COVID and the increased number of deaths of older people. That scared people away from facilities. So there was a right. big move away from facilities into home care. You know, so it's pretty interesting. During the first half of 2020, when COVID hit, most of our members saw their revenue drop, but then immediately pick back up. And at the end of the year, their revenue at the end of 2020 was higher than their revenue at the end of 2019. And that's in spite of dealing with all of the caregiver shortages, you know, caregivers were staying home and not working, all of the personal protective equipment issues. You remember all the stuff that was going on in healthcare during COVID, but it did create a huge awareness for in-home care. And so consumers, as well as state governments, through their Medicaid programs, really began to recognize the benefit of taking care of folks at home. But as the cost goes up, and again, the biggest cost, 60 plus percentage of the cost is the direct cost of care, money going to the caregivers for their compensation and their benefits and their taxes and so on. So let's pick your mastermind. So what would be the major challenges that you see in this industry and these business models and some of the creative mastermind ideas to improve the situation that you've seen? Well, the biggest threat as identified by industry benchmarking data is the caregiver shortage. And like 70, I'm just looking at that today, like 78% of people responding to the survey said that they see the biggest threat to their business and the industry over the next five years as being the shortage of caregiver. Number two is caregiver turnover. And last year, turnover was 77.1%. So out of every 100 caregivers, 77 of them left over the course of the year. And so those are the kinds of issues. And so in our mastermind groups, we spent a lot of time doing research trying to develop innovative ways to do a better job of recruiting and then to do a better job of retention. And the retention strategy centers around a couple of things. First of all, building a corporate culture, which builds a great place to work where caregivers say, this is the kind of company that I want to work for. And we've identified three types of caregivers, one of which we call the full-time professional caregiver. Even though they're low paid, these are people that this is their profession. This is what they do. This is what they're going to do. So it's not a question, are they going to be a caregiver or not? It's which company are they going to work for? And then we have some half-time professional caregivers, people that also want to do this work, but they don't want to work 40 hours a week. They want to work 25 hours a week. And then there's what I call the part-time intermittent caregivers that come and go, and they're always looking for work and they're changing companies. And as we have worked on focusing on those full-time professional caregivers, then we begin to look at what can we do to retain them. And one of the data points that we picked up from the industry benchmarking survey is that 57% of turnover happens in the first 90 days. And so we did a lot of research around 90-day retention. What is it that causes people to leave? And we identified sort of the three big causes of 90-day turnover. Number one was a bad hire. Because the need was so great, people were just hiring anybody that could breathe on a mirror. And in 14 days, they were gone. The second was what we call paycheck imbalance. And that is these caregivers are paid on an hourly basis for the hours they work, and they're not guaranteed a 40-hour week. And so a caregiver comes in and says, okay, I want to be a full-time professional caregiver. I want to work 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week. And I want to have a take-home paycheck of, you know, do the math, $500 a week. But if the caregiver doesn't get enough hours scheduled 
and their paycheck doesn't match what they need to meet their bills, then they're starting to look for other work elsewhere. And so we've done a lot of work with our members building connections with their caregivers to understand their financial needs. And we've uncovered a lot of information about what we call economically fragile workers, which is a big part of the workforce in America today are people who are living paycheck to paycheck. And a flat tire is a major catastrophe because they have to buy the tire, they have to get it changed, they miss a day of work, and suddenly it ripples into a $1,000 expense and they don't have $1,000 in the bank. You know, we saw some statistics that some significant portion of people in America can't handle a $400 emergency. And so companies are addressing this whole idea of economically fragile caregivers and how do we keep them working and make sure they get the hours they need. And So how are they addressing that? Because it strikes me that having a few relatives that have done this and having a cousin that actually has one of these businesses, that the first thing is you have patients that come and go, right? Some patients recover and don't need you, some pass away. And so you're almost trying to open a territory and you find a caregiver in that territory and then you're trying to maximize the clients in there so you can actually provide them that stability and paycheck. So that's a tough situation. It is a tough situation. And the companies that do it best have basically shifted their whole mindset. And for those of us that are business guys, this shift is almost heresy, but they've shifted from a customer first culture to a caregiver first culture. And they're simply with their whole team of people working on, we need to understand our best caregivers, where they come from, what their needs are, what their home life is. And we need to provide them stable, steady employment, a regular schedule that they can count on. And if that means we have to say no to a client or a patient because what they want or need doesn't fit with what our caregivers can deliver. And so then we've done a lot of research around the ideal client, where they come from, what are their needs, how do we define them, what are the referral sources. We've also looked at companies that have set some daily or weekly minimum hours. So it was very common five years ago for a home care company to take a client for whatever number of hours they needed per day or per week. So somebody might say, I want two hours a day, three days a week. And a company would say, sure, I can do that. Well, today, most of our members would have to politely say to that family, I'm sorry, but we can't help you because I can't get a caregiver that wants to work two hours a day, three days a week. And I don't have enough of those short shifts to give a caregiver four hours or eight hours of work in a day. But if you're willing to buy care for your mom or dad for four hours a day, five days a week, 20 hours a week, I can find a caregiver who wants to work half time, or I can take a full-time caregiver and give them two shifts a day. But I can't get people to bounce around for two hours here and three hours there. So that scheduling is a challenge. So in the few smaller businesses that I've worked with, no one has software to keep this optimized. Are you aware of any software to help this scheduling and create? Yeah, the home care industry has attracted a fair amount of investment in technology. And there are probably a dozen companies that build what we call home care operating systems. They're primarily scheduling systems but they also have billing modules where they can bill clients and they can bill third-party payers like state Medicaid programs or the Veterans Administration. They have a very basic customer relationship management module so they can keep track of the referral sources and their sales and marketing people can use that to document their connections and their contacts on the referral side. And then they have a sort of a primitive applicant tracking system where they keep track of new caregivers coming in 
And then there's a whole caregiver module, there's a client module, there's a referral source module. They're all integrated together. And some of these systems are very effective, very user-friendly. They're beginning to use AI, artificial intelligence to, for example, help match clients to caregivers. You know, I have a client over here that wants 20 hours a week and they like dogs and they don't like smokers and they're in this geography. And so it goes in and looks at all the caregivers and says, where's a match? And we find a caregiver who lives two miles away and fits that and they match. So I can hear my audience as you're speaking, trying to benchmark against you. What are your favorite softwares in this category of some of the most popular? Well, actually, the industry benchmark data has a list of basically market share. So the top software company was called ClearCare. It was purchased by a conglomerate called WellSky that's bought a number of different software companies. So they're the largest in market share. Next is a company called Access Care, and then it drops way off and there's another 10 or 12 companies that are small double digits or single digit market share. Very good. So shifting topics here about your career, can you tell us a time when you had to adapt or shift your strategy quickly in your business models this, over the years? <laughs> well, yeah, I laugh because people ask me about how I got into home care. I said, what well, was a natural, logical progression? My first job out of graduate school was working for the world's largest manufacturer of underground coal mining machinery. And my first assignment was 600 feet underground in the bottom of a coal mine in Southern West Virginia. <laughs> I tell them it's been uphill ever since. <laughs> But I literally started out in manufacturing like you. As I say, it was heavy metal. It was building mining machines. And then it was building heavy trucks over the road. And then it was parts for trucks and cars in the automotive industry. And then I left that manufacturing world in, in 1979, moved back to West from Pennsylvania from Ohio and adopted a little girl and started my speaking and consulting business with the intent that I would work with small to medium-sized manufacturers in that triangle from Pittsburgh to Cleveland to Erie. And as you know, there's a whole bunch of little manufacturing companies. Well, 1981, 82, the bottom fell out of the economy, and those companies weren't hiring consultants, but healthcare organizations were growing and hospitals were saying, we need to act more like a business. And home health was saying, we need to act more like a business. So and how did you see that through your filter? I mean, you were obviously focused on manufacturing. Where did you see that this was moving and this would be a good pivot for you? Well, you know, remember, this was before email and websites and whatever. Yeah, that's so what I I'm saying. A, it's hard. I had a box of index cards with names on it, and I was building contacts in Western Pennsylvania and Eastern Ohio. And I made some contacts in the banking industry. I made some contacts in retailing with some small service firms like CPA firms and law firms, and then hospitals. And it mostly came from people that I knew through my communities in my network in Western Pennsylvania. And we started doing some strategic planning for hospitals. And then actually my pastor belonged to a small Presbyterian church in the little town of Oil City, Pennsylvania. And he called me up one evening and he said, hey, Stephen, I've just been elected to be chairman of the board of the local visiting nurse association. It's a not-for-profit home health agency. The board wants to do some strategic planning. Would you help me? I don't know how to spell strategic planning. I'm thinking this is a pro bono. It's my pastor. Sure, I'm going to help him. Well, it turns out it was a real business with a real CEO. They had some money. They hired me. They liked what I did. And the CEO sort of took me under her wing and she introduced me to all the other not-for-profit home health agencies in Western Pennsylvania. Then she took me to the state association and then to the national association. And we're still friends today. She's in her mid-80s. She's still relatively healthy, and we talk fairly often. But it was like that, having a few people who 
believed in me and trusted me that invited me into this sector. And I immediately fell in love with the home health people, particularly the not-for-profit home health people, because of their core values. It was like, we're going to take care of anybody regardless of their ability to pay. And we're very much concerned about clinical quality. And you know, we're nurses. We believe in nursing. There were just some core values. Mm -hmm. And so for 20 years, my niche was those home health agencies. And again, many of the not-for-profits. And then several of those agencies had this private pay personal care section that they called private duty home care because they were all nurses and private duty is a nursing term. My mom, when I was three years old, was a private duty nurse. She would work with local families in the little town where I grew up and she would go to the hospital for two weeks with them. And then when they went home, she would go home and they would pray her privately. She told me she got a dollar an hour doing private duty nursing when I was little. So there's this sort of connection. And so we moved over into this personal home care sector 20 years ago. And we just love the people and the companies and their compassion for their clients and their compassion for their caregivers. So we've really studied, particularly these bigger companies, to say, what are the business models that work? What are the best practices? What are the financial and statistical benchmarks that we can share with these companies so that they can grow their business and serve more clients, hire more caregivers, and they make a nice, comfortable living? Yeah. Well, you lead me to the next question. I usually ask, where do people go to get these resources? So you sort of set up that question. Where do you go to keep current? Because it is a fragmented industry. I imagine that, you know, McKinsey isn't doing a big report on it or Frost okay. and Sullivan, right? So where do you go to keep current and find the best information? Well, the first thing is we're actively involved in supporters of the national and state associations. And there are two big ones. The National Association for Home Care and Hospice is the largest association, and it primarily represents home health, Medicare certified home health agency, and hospices. They also represent, they have a sector called private duty at NAC. NAC is the term they use to describe National Association for Home Care. And then the other association is the Home Care Association of America. And I was invited to be their opening keynote speaker, their first convention back in 2004. Their executive director was a friend and client. He asked me to come in and speak, and that introduced me to that. And that group has grown dramatically. So they primarily represent the in-home personal care people, mostly private pay. A lot of the large home care franchises are members of HCAOA. There are 56 companies selling franchises in home care, and they have just over 7,600 franchise locations. And so that's a big part of the industry. So being involved in those associations, speaking at their conferences, attending their conferences, interacting with other speakers is a big part of it. And then in 2009, we introduced a benchmarking study to the home care industry, working with the Home Care Association of America. We did that for two years. And then another company started doing a benchmarking study. And so they do this. This company is called Home Care Pulse. And this is the HCP benchmarking report. This is the 2023 version. And so the guy who started Home Care Pulse was a client of ours, a good friend, and they started doing the benchmarking. And we said, good, we're going to throw in with you and support your benchmarking. We don't need two different benchmarking studs. And so for a dozen years, I worked closely with Home Care Pulse in terms of helping them to define the questions and refine the analysis. And then I use their data and dig deeper. And then we've done some other of our own research, some best caregiver studies, some recruiting and retention studies, doing surveys of the industry. And so that's sort of where we stay fresh is being connected to the people in the industry who have the data and by doing our own research to gather the data. 
So this is obviously a, a growing industry and a place where people that are entrepreneurial could probably go and start a business. So would you recommend that they do that through a franchise model or would you recommend that they do it privately? Well, like all good consultants, my best answer is it depends. And it depends on a couple of things. If somebody has very little knowledge of running a small business and no knowledge of home care, then a franchise could be a good option for them. And the franchise companies, particularly the bigger ones, I think do a very good job of orienting new owners. They put them through a week-long training program. They teach them their procedures. They have manuals and processes and how to run the business. They have support for marketing. They have support for recruiting. And so the franchises do a pretty good job of getting that new owner up to the median at a million seven. We do a lot of work with franchise owners in the top tier of the major franchise companies. And many of them would say, gee, if I knew then what I knew now, I would have not done a franchise. I would do my own thing because I'm paying 5% of my revenue back to the franchise company. And at my level, I'm not getting a lot of support for what I'm paying in. There are flip side of that is there are some large franchise owners that are tickled to death with their relationship with their franchisor. They've been great partners for 20 years and they're both doing well. And it has been a win-win. The flip side of that is pretty much all of our mastermind members at this point are independent companies. And so these are individuals who they all have a story. And one of the fascinating things about this is they each have their own personal story about, I was taking care of my grandmother or my grandpa needed care or my mom got sick or whatever. And they said, I couldn't find anybody to do it. So I said, I can do that. And they started a company and they sort of figured it out. There are a couple of organizations out there that teach people how to start a home care company. There are two organizations that are not franchises. We call them a membership network, and they provide similar training for startup home care companies like a franchise, that week of training and all the manuals and materials. But these companies don't operate under the brand name of the network. They each have their own company brand name and they operate independently. And then after the initial training, if they want to stay part of the network, they can, or if they want to drop out, they're not obligated. Whereas what are those two companies? What's the name of those two companies? One's called Companion Connection Senior Care in New Jersey, and the other is called the Senior's Choice on the West Coast in California. Perfect. So when you look at this industry and you've been at it for 40 years, so you've got all the past and then you can have a optics into the future. We were talking earlier, your daughter's working with you now too. So obviously she's looking at the future too. What do you see as the biggest opportunity for growth in this area? Well, the biggest opportunity is pure demographics. The fastest growing segment of the population in America is the over 85 age cohort. And they're the folks who primarily need in-home care. And all the data, you know, AARP has a couple of studies that show clearly that a significant majority of older adults prefer to get their health care at home. And so there's an ongoing, never-ending supply of new clients. The biggest barrier is finding the caregivers to match that need. And the demographics there is just the opposite. There are just simply not enough individuals in the workforce doing this kind of work to meet the growing need. And so looking forward, what the industry is working on and the Home Care Association of America and National Association for Home Care and Hospice are working together on a workforce task force to look at how do we get more people to choose healthcare as a profession and to choose home care specifically, and then at different levels. So in home care, hourly caregivers, in home health, nurses, therapists, social workers, 
So across the home care continuum, there's a need for workers at all levels. And so the industry is coming together to say, how do we attract more people to see this work as as meaningful, as purposeful, and as good way to make a living? They're fairly paid and they feel like they're appreciated and valued, and this is a good place to work. So that's sort of the big issue. So from a long-term perspective, owners have a lot of upside potential if they can figure out how to attract the caregivers to meet those needs. Excellent. Excellent. Any other advice or anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Well, one of the things that we've been doing, and I've been actually speaking at home care association conferences, corporate meetings the last couple of years around what I call lessons from the mega companies. And I mentioned we have this mastermind group we call the top 5% group. And that means their revenue clusters around the 95th percentile in the industry. And so our group, the average is about 12 million seven in revenue. And this group's been together for 10 years, or some of the members, not all. Some of our members have sold their businesses over the years. But from that group, we've identified what I call the lessons from the mega companies. Number one is having a huge vision. And so these leaders are visionary leaders, and they see themselves running a big company, serving lots of clients, taking care of families, employing lots of caregivers, and what that means. The second one is that they tend to be systems thinkers. And so they're looking at how do I systematize my business? And so as part of our research, I've identified what I call the five phases of flow. That is five phases that a client goes through in working with a home care company. And from those five phases, I've identified 12 specific systems that a home care company can put in place. And so with our mastermind members and our benchmark data, we're looking at how do we help these companies systematize their business. These top tier companies pretty much are all working on their company culture because they know they've got to create a great place to work. And we define culture as the way we do things around here. And the way we do things in any company is influenced by four big factors. One is the leadership style of the CEO. Second is the core values that guide your decisions and your actions. The third is the behaviors that you expect that represent how we live those values. And the fourth is the behaviors you permit. And that is, what are the consequences if somebody's behavior is outside of the expectations in terms of the core value? And then it's a multi-year endeavor to craft that culture and ingrain it and reinforce it and reward it and hold people accountable if their behavior is not within the alignment with the core values. So those are the kinds of things that we've learned from studying this and that we're out there sharing with the industry through speeches and seminars and eBooks and e-tools and mastermind groups and strategic business coaching. So how can the audience find you and learn more about what you do? Two websites. My personal company is Leading Home Care. So the website is www.leadinghomecare.com, L-E-A-D-I-N-G homecare.com. And then the Home Care CEO Forum, which I'm still a part of, and I sold that business at the first of the year to my friend and colleague, Jensen Jones. And that website is homecareceo.com. And that's where the mastermind groups are housed and some of our other services. Perfect. So if you're in the home care model, this is uh, definitely the episode you want to listen to. I thank you so much for joining us. I know you have a deadline in another meeting, so I want to uh, be respectful of your time. So thanks again. Well, thank you, James. It's been great to meet you and have this conversation. Thanks for everything. And if any of your folks out there have questions, they can always reach me at Stephen with a P-H-S-T-E-P-H-E-N at leadinghomecare.com. Perfect. Thank you again. Thanks for tuning into the Chalk Talk Gym podcast. For resources, 
show notes, and ways to get in touch, visit us at chalktalkgym.com.